As an impact investor, the minute we put our money into a company, the impact starts then. I think that one of the key ingredients in being a conscious investor is actually having an abundance mindset. It's knowing that the pie is not finite. The main message is that no investment is neutral, especially where we are right now, headed with climate change and the climate emergency. Welcome to the Beyond Capital podcast. In our purpose-driven world, leadership is increasingly crucial. We are bringing you the stories of leaders that are marrying profit with purpose. I'm Eva Yazari, CEO of Beyond Capital. And I'm Ed Stevens, CEO of Appreciate. Together, Eva and I have built and invested in businesses worth millions. We want to show you how social impact can exist in a company's operations, product, and culture, sometimes unexpectedly. We hope you walk away knowing the possibilities of impact for you and feeling inspired by the potential to do good. This is the Beyond Capital Podcast. And today we are bringing you another special episode focusing on our co-host, Eva Yazari. Eva is a seasoned investor, entrepreneur, and CEO with 16 years of experience working in the venture capital and asset management industries. She is the co-founder and CEO of Beyond Capital, a pioneering impact investing fund dedicated to the belief that investing can inspire good and sustainably improve access to basic goods and services. She also launched her weekly magazine, The Conscious Investor, in 2019. Today, we are offering you, our listeners, an exclusive look, a hot exclusive look at Eva's new book, The Good Your Money Can Do, Becoming a Conscious Investor. And even more special than that, we are joined by our producer, Mathilde Beneflot. Thank you so much, Ed. Uh, I'm really excited to talk to Eva today about her guide to finding meaning and purpose with our money. Maybe you've thought about being intentional with your food, lifestyle, overall health and other consumption decisions. But I always think it's interesting to think about how would it feel knowing that every dollar you invest is a reflection of you as a person. So in Eva's book, The Good Your Money Can Do, uh, she shows us that our money really can have more potential than we ever thought possible. So very excited to dive in. Yeah, there's excitement on so many levels. It's hard to, hard to handle. Let's jump in here. So Eva, you've been an impact investor for 12 years and uh, most of our listeners, you know, they kind of understand what impact investing is and how it's different from traditional investing. But if you started investing 12 years ago, what were you doing before that? Well, first I want to say thank you for interviewing me on our show. Both of you are individuals whom I have uh, noted in the acknowledgments of my book for being a part and a significant part of my impact investing journey. So I'm just really happy to have this conversation. But as many people who've listened to the show before know, I was on the finance track. I worked in the fast-paced, hot world of hedge funds. I previously said that I like to be a wolf on a wolf of Wall Street on the show and I meant it in a number of ways because that's kind of all I knew at that time and I was really lucky to get to know the activist hedge fund managers those that rattle for change and really 
see what more money could do and somewhat be inspired by the work that they did, even though they weren't asking for any sort of double or triple bottom line returns. And then when the financial crisis hit, things changed. But prior to being an impact investor, I was essentially a Wall Street analyst and really enjoyed that depth of investment work, which I still get to continue to do today. So fast forward to today, what happened that made you decide to write this book? I'm, I'm curious what the exact moment was when you realized these ideas needed to get out there. So when I left Wall Street, I was really looking for more meaning in my career. I saw an opportunity, an investment opportunity and more to fund for more than just financial return. And I was just looking for, I think, a greater feeling of community happiness, ease that could add up to a new definition of success for myself. But I got started as an impact investor in 2009 and um, started up Beyond Capital's first fund. And in the course of my work, I've, I've had a lot of observations from dinner tables, conversations with peers, maybe those that continue to work in the traditional finance world. And even you know a decade later, having friends really start to ask me, how to be more purpose-driven. And I was lucky to work with an executive coach starting in 2017, whom I still work with to this day. And she really encouraged me to kind of think outside of the box. And I'm, I'm very inspired by kind of like gaps in markets and opportunities. And I just had an aha moment around the fact that there was a very kind of bifurcated world of impact investors. There were the insiders who were already doing it and often doing it through philanthropic vehicles or then moving into their family offices, but doing it through very defined pool of capital. And then there were my peers, my you know, who kind of were working in finance or other industries who just had their money invested in the traditional way. And I thought, if this really is a big movement, then why are my friends and my peers and you know kind of those in the in the same kind of adjacent industries not thinking about impact investing and that was really the genesis of writing this book which is a playbook for anybody who wants to become an impact investor that has resources at their disposal, whether that's a savings, whether that is a 401k, or much more than that, it is a, a way, it's a guide for somebody to go on the journey of discovering what more their money can do for them. So what should people consider before making an investment in a B Corp or any impact investment? Yeah, well, first of all, I would definitely say it is important to evaluate the business and whether that business meets your specific needs. But if it's a B corporation or you know any any company and you're thinking about making it an impact investment, you want to think a little bit more about how that company is engaging all stakeholders. And when I say stakeholders, it's simply, you know, those that the that are you know, touched by the company or being influenced by the company or even buying from the company like customers. So it would be customers, employees, the government, the community, and even shareholders, those that are investing in the company. And traditionally, when investing, you would think about what the company returns back to its shareholders only. But when you're evaluating an impact investment, you're thinking 
a couple levels deeper about you know what levels the company is going to return value back to its employees or the environment or other kind of you know organizations that are linked to it in the community or even the government if it tends to cross over with the government in its activities and in doing so you can then map that to your own values so if you care about um, soil health and we've had a number of companies on the show that have talked about sustainable agriculture and why that's important, then you can decide to invest in a company that has a policy around restorative agriculture and restoring back the the soil in the work that they do and not being extractive, to give an example. So in, in general, I think that just thinking about what you care about first, which is one of the first steps in the second part of the book, which is kind of what helps walk investors through the playbook for becoming a conscious investor, but defining those values is really important. And then mapping the investment to those values will create, I think, a a successful impact investment that you can be passionate about and that you can put your attention on because you really, really do care about that specific issue. So Eva, in your book, you, you do spend a lot of time talking about the importance of this process of defining your values and then living all aspects of your life in accordance with those values. An exercise that is often, you know, easier said than done. So I'm curious, can you talk a little bit about, have you always thought about impact investing in the same way? How have your own values and definitions maybe changed over time? I haven't always thought about impact investing the same way. Initially, I came to the space very intellectually, almost more academically, and coming from the traditional investing mindset which meant that there had to be certain milestones met before I would you know, consider a problem opportunity set that was presented to me. I'm still very focused on making sure that investments are not what I would call concessionary, where there still is a, a strong balance of profit and purpose and planet and people and where there's a harmony of all stakeholders um, benefiting, including shareholders. My initial kind of entry into the space, I think, didn't really consider the other things that impact investing can bring to me and to others, including kind of having a happier life, being able to find purpose and meaning every day, waking up that knowing that my personal money and the money of Beyond Capital is invested in a way that is consistent with my values. And knowing that impact investing is almost like a democratization of the conversation around investing. And it opens up a dialogue with children and groups that have historically been told that investing is, you know, only for the 1% or only for those who have excess capital. When in fact, we know that investing can be for everyone. And being an impact investor is also much, much more than investing. It can also be where you bank. It can also be your consumer choices. It can also be you know, using your voice as an activist. And I talk about all of this in the book, but I think it, it really comes together around the nexus of looking at what I truly value first and starting to do some of the inner work, which is probably you know three years into my time as a conscious investor, I started to think a little bit more about what drove me to make the decision to become a conscious 
conscious investor and I started to think about my core attributes and the, the things that I really do value, such as justice and innovation and leadership and how they could map to my investments. And so now I've really expanded my personal definition of impact investing to include the entire range of economic transactions in my life. Whereas when I started, I probably was more kind of academically and intellectually focused on only the investing side. Okay. So you are in this book covering a lot of ground, but one of the areas you talk about, and you were just sort of referring to that due diligence and, you know, when you're, you're looking at companies and, you know, some of them may be conscious of stakeholders in one area, but not another. You use Nike as an example. Can you expand on that? And maybe even some other examples? Well, I talk about how Nike has been incredible around the social justice and racial justice movement in the U.S. They aligned with Colin Kaepernick early on. They invited him to participate in their advertising campaigns and really showed support for the BLM movement. And I think that that wasn't, was fantastic. However, a company of that scale has a tremendous carbon footprint in just the products it produces and how they create waste in our world. Other examples kind of span into the single-use plastic businesses that are heavily involved with single-use plastics. But sticking with Nike first, I think that they wouldn't necessarily be considered an impact investment in my view. And the reason for that is, you know, on one hand, they may be putting one foot forward, really supporting BLM, I think that's probably coming from their marketing budget. But on the other hand, they aren't really innovating around sustainable materials. And they don't really talk about what happens when that shoe ends up, you know, several use cycles down down the road and ends up in a landfill and how that negatively impacts the environment. So I think it's just really important to understand, you know, the holistic nature and also where the intentions of companies lie when they decide to, you know, make kind of social and environmental claims or put put specific kind of feet forward. It's very easy to put one foot forward. But if I were to look at other businesses, I don't want to single out specific companies. I saw Nike as a convenient example and and just one that I don't think is a, a big offender, but I think showed the complexity of thinking about different nuances within a company. But as I mentioned previously, businesses that have a heavy reliance on plastic may be sending out good messaging that their bottles are made with you know plant-based material, but they're often drawing that funding from their marketing budgets, as well as lobbying in all parts of this globe to replace glass bottles or aluminum products, which we know and we have heard on this podcast are actually more easily recycled. And so I think, you know, being able to have the metrics, which are coming, they're in development, and I think will become more of a mainstream of part of how analysts start to report back on companies. But being able to have the metrics around how a company really is walking the talk on a kind of more holistic level is super important for investors and frankly, consumers as well. So I think it's really important that while we are discussing intentions a lot, uh, we're talking about leading with our values and focusing on what matters to us, you know, it's also important to consider 
the final result and, and really going beyond just the intention. Like you point out, sometimes those intentions are really starting and originating from marketing departments and, and not that materially relevant to the business. And so I'm curious, can you talk a little bit about any examples you may have encountered of times when good intentions just weren't enough? Maybe the good intentions just didn't work out well. It would just be really useful to understand how you think about just going beyond saying that you have a good intention when it comes to investing. Yeah, we have a lot to learn from the traditional philanthropic sector, particularly in the realm of international aid. There's a story that I tell in the book about a friend whose company was sponsoring cleft palate surgeries in order to fix children's cleft palates in Mexico. And this executive went down to Mexico from Europe to be there and be present for a number of these surgeries in order to take pictures and 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 rally support from the company and send back a report about what what the company had sponsored and he described to me that he was actually almost in the operating theater and kind of a very intricate part of the surgery as an observer and, you know, felt a lot of pride in what the company had um, supported on the ground in Mexico. But when he checked in about a year later with the surgeon who had completed the surgery, he was told that the boy passed away because he had septic shock and the boy was not near a medical facility that could handle that level of infection. And I think that this story is you know, extremely devastating, but I think the reality is that this happens every single day. It happens in the realms of cleft palate surgeries, it ha- happens in the day-to-day course of babies being brought into this world in the global south where I invest. And it, it happens in other ways that go beyond healthcare where, you know, there might be, you know, one biofuel being presented to a community and but it has other consequences that take away perhaps a natural resource from another community nearby to create that. And what I call these and what they're commonly known as are just unintended consequences. And so I think it is important to invest with and buy from and support companies that do take a holistic stance to their impact because it minimizes the risk of unintended consequences. I always like to say that As an impact investor, the minute we put our money into a company, the impact starts then. The return might not be there, the financial return, but the social or the environmental return is happening that moment that you give the money to the company. And in the case of measuring that return, I think you know impact investors and conscious investors are always looking to minimize these unintended consequences and to think more systematically and more systemically about how they are investing. And I think this example just goes to show that sometimes good intentions don't work out well in the end and hopefully gives the readers a lens through which to evaluate their own investment decisions. Thank you for sharing that story because I think it really illustrates that this book is tackling a wide range of topics related to impact and to being a conscious investor. You know, I was very fortunate to read an advanced copy of this book. And what struck me is that in addition to offering tips and, you know, practical advice to people looking to start this journey, You also really share your personal story of becoming a conscious investor over the last 16 years. And so I'm curious if you can say 
what the biggest lesson you've learned going through this journey is that you share in this book, if you can give us a snippet. The main message is that no investment is neutral. It's a simple message, but it's a poignant one, especially where we are right now headed with climate change and the climate emergency. Progress is really needed on on that level, but also on gender and racial equality around the globe. And I think for me, these are kind of my two top issues at the moment that I'm very focused on when I think about my day to day and when I think about my investments that I'm able to decide about and have more nuance around. But the reality is, you know, everything we do has an impact. And I think that if there were one message coming out of the book to serve as, you know, an incredible teaser uh, for those who will hopefully go out and and buy it and read it and share it with their friends. It is just that. It's that, you know, everything we do has an impact. Let's jump into the lightning round here. Get into some of the questions that might be a little bit more personal. Are you ready for that? I'm ready. What book is on your nightstand right now? The 15 Commitments of Conscious Leadership, A New Paradigm for Sustainable Success. What is your go-to beverage in the morning? Well, Ed knows that I've had different choices throughout the years, but well, I'm currently drinking. It's got to involve mushrooms. <laughs> no, or some not kind any of longer. Col- <laughs> some kind of uh, fungus or like uh, fermented something. <laughs> Almost. I'm drinking actually a long Nespresso capsule coffee with either almond milk or a coconut milk coffee creamer made by Laird Hamilton. Oh, yeah. Name something that's giving you hope right now. Conscious investing. I think it's it's really the solution to the, the challenges that we're facing, and it will help us get where we need to go as a, as a human society. What is one trend you are watching in your industry and you can't say conscious investing? <laughs> <laughs> I would not. No, in the industry of conscious that. investing, I, I'm watching the SPAC industry. I think it's it's fascinating. Um, I you know in the hedge fund space over a decade ago, SPACs were a big thing. They've obviously come back into favor amongst you know more traditional investors. But we have seen a couple companies go public via SPAC in the impact investing space, and I'm I'm just watching to see you know what value this can truly provide. I'm 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 a little bit skeptical, but I'm I'm watching it. Seems too easy. Quite so. What is your favorite resource for staying up to date on current events for social impact investing, conscious capital, et cetera? Can only name one. Impact Alpha. Impact Alpha. Is that a website? It is a website, but they also have a very good weekly podcast where it rounds up all the stories from the week that happened in impact investing. Very efficient delivery of content. What is the best way for you to unwind? And does it involve a babysitter? <laughs> you know me all too well, Ed. You know, actually, I can do this at home after my kids have gone to bed or admittedly, sometimes when I just need a you know, quick boost in the morning, I have an infrared sauna and sometimes I you know, completely forget that it's there. But of late, I've really been enjoying it just for reducing inflammation. And I can even like be on my phone while I'm in there and do emails and and be productive, which is important to me. But I'm, I sit in there for, you know, 30 minutes and it just feels great afterwards. So let me get this straight. You unwind by checking your email. Yeah, look, I think that says a lot about me. 
<laughs> All right. And final rapid fire question. What is one piece of advice you would give to your 20 year old self? To think about the systems in which my decisions operate, to think about leadership from a kind of more holistic sense. I I think being a leader is one of the honors of my career and lifetimes. And I'm humbled to have individuals that think of me as a leader, but I think to have cultivated that in my 20s, I think I would have loved to have, have done a little bit more of that. I want to bring some of these concepts uh, into current events and really draw a thread with some topics that have been coming up recently. A few weeks ago, we had the kind of GameStop short sell fiasco, or maybe it was last week. It feels like a long time ago now. Do you think that relates to conscious investing? What's your reaction to the kind of investor behavior that we see in the stock market sometimes? I love this question. And it's because that energy, meaning the scarcity mindset, the shaming, were really present in my former life so to speak. They were a big part of the Wall Street culture. And I think it's no secret. I'm not telling anybody anything new. I think that one of the key ingredients in being a conscious investor is actually having an abundance mindset. It's knowing that the pie is not finite. It's knowing that when Matilde wins, I win too. When Ed wins, I win too. When I invest in something, it is not taking away from me and that the investment world is not a zero-sum game. And so none of the qualities that were exhibited by you know, the kind of those that were trying to overthrow the short sales on the Reddit groups exhibited were in my opinion, qualities that exemplify conscious investors or where I think conscious leaders can take us. It really shows that the way we invest is not working for everyone. And I know that you know the thinking was to be radical and there was an Occupy Wall Street component to the GameStop fiasco, as you put it. But I think that the kind of attack quality of investing is antithetical to conscious investing. And I'm extremely mindful of this, particularly having my roots in the hedge fund culture. One of the things you talk about in your book is, is how important it is to find a group of like-minded people who who you can relate to in, in impact investing. Where where can new impact investors look to find this high vibe tribe? There's now so many incredible communities. And my advice is really to start making investments and then find communities around those investments. So Matilda always talks about Elvest. Both of us are investors through Elvest. And it comes to mind as a great example. You know, knowing that we want to focus on screen portfolios for gender smart investment opportunities. And then there's a community that gets built around that through, you know, our investing and, you know, they kind of have newsletters and other ways to engage their community as well. While there are many existing groups such as Tonic that I mentioned in the book or the Global Impact Investing Network or even the Unreasonable Collective all mentioned in the book, I really do encourage 
burgeoning conscious investors to create their own authentic communities um, and maybe to work within existing groups that don't have, you know, let's say an impact arm or an impact focus, but to find individuals in those groups that care about impact investing. One example is the Young Presidents Organization. There are a lot of what we call YPOers who care a lot about purpose-driven business and to build a community within YPO where um, you're kind of selecting from 28,000 CEOs around the globe could be extremely powerful. So thinking about other industry groups, even like 100 Women in Finance and creating a subgroup within there, I think that that's where the scale will really and truly start to happen. Well, I'm sure Mathilde has a final question, but my final question gets back to the GameStop thing. And part of the overall vibe of impact investing is this kind of accessibility or egalitarian democratization kind of aspect of it. I know that I can have an impact by what I purchase and I can have an impact by which bank I keep my money in, however much or little it may be. But one thing that you know, I, I I wonder what your thoughts are is, you know, there is real risk and danger in investing as well. And um, if we just sort of say to people, hey, get started, it's, it's you know, it's all going to turn out great, you know, and, and we, we draw people in who may have a too naive or too simplistic of a view on how risky what they're doing. And I would put the GameStop you know, at least a number of those GameStop investors in that category, right? They were buying on the way up and they were going to lose their money and they weren't going to be able to get out on the way down. And so while it was, you know, sort of this democratizing moment in bringing down the short sellers, it really ends up being something where most of the people who lost money were the little people who didn't really understand what, what the short squeeze was and how hard it is to get out on the way down. So I'm just wondering on, you know, from your perspective, how do we bring in that, you know, to the, to this impact investing as well, the, the risks and, you know, should I be prepared to lose everything or what are your thoughts on that in general? Yeah, I love that question. Number one, I am not an investment advisor. I make that very clear in the book and any examples that I give are purposely and purely for illustrative purposes and to just inspire thinking around what categories investments investors can get involved in. But I do have always been an advocate for a systematic approach to investing. It's the way that we invest at Beyond Capital. It's the way that I invest my own portfolio, which means that using advisors thinking about platforms that are you know well reputable and well vetted by others and have good ratings such as Elvest such as independent investment advisors across the US that have you know long standing relationships with clients where prospective conscious investors can interview them and really get to know the kind of quality of their work and they're both Choice. There are a lot of choices, and we've talked about even aspiration as a B Corporation certified bank on both sides. So there's, for those who might have even $50 to invest, some of these kind of more publicly listed and online platforms are a really great choice and have been used by thousands of investors at this point. And then if you are looking to invest a larger amount of money, there are a number of really well-known independent investment advisors that are also B Corporations who have 
have kind of gone through that certification and and probably you know have of course they have they have all of their other registrations and certifications that are needed by from the SEC so I think that 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 is like very 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 important I also personally don't think that every person should and I write this also in the book just I don't think every person should start with angel investing it's a very sexy thing to do it's very in vogue and it's very easy to get enamored by an entrepreneur and their impact story as well and forget about some of the the kind of more important fundamentals of just investing in a super early stage company and what that means from a risk profile. So I would encourage anybody who's listening to just evaluate their own risk profile and consult the right expert for them, of which there is a good range for, you know, smaller to larger investors as well. And to think about their own time horizon. I mean, in my opinion, the GameStop fiasco was not even investing it's gambling and it's 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 trading and i'm not sure actually it's a really incredible question that makes me think about like what is where does trading play a role in impact investing typically impact investing is kind of a longer term time horizon of realizing more than one outcome whereas trading just gets you that financial outcome in maybe milliseconds. So I I think in general, all investors should always be cautious and know that, you know, taking their time and doing their due diligence, which is also a part of a, a a section of the book is super important. And again, the GameStop fiasco has, I think, nothing to do with conscious investing or consciousness at all. It's really sad that people, you know, lost out on the nuance of the short squeeze, as you pointed out. Eva, I want to end with one last question, because at the end of the day, your book is really about bringing in more joy into our lives and the benefits of being a conscious investor, really extending into a deeper sense of purpose and fulfillment. So I would love to know when was the last time, uh, the most recent time that being a conscious investor sparked joy? Maybe it was a recent investment that you've made or a development you've seen in the industry, but What's something that has really excited you about where this movement is headed in your personal life? There are so many incredible stories. I mean, I have the lucky position and job to evaluate companies that are doing really impactful things. One of the the companies that I am absolutely in love with right now is called Red Wing Labs. And it's a business that is creating an autonomous drone to deliver vaccines, blood, and long-tailed drugs to rural areas in India, where rates of, for example, postpartum hemorrhage are very high, and there's just not enough capability to do the the needed blood transfusions and and gather the blood that's needed for that kind of level of of a procedure. I just love the marriage of technology. Again, innovation is one of these kind of core attributes that I I really value in the world, something that is important to me. And I love the innovation piece of this business. But then frankly, you know, how to illustrate to the audience that your values really do matter. For me, maternal health is really important. I have an aunt whose mother died in childbirth, who's Tanzanian, who was then adopted by my dad's side of the family, and she's been an incredible part of our family. And so I think that that just goes to show, you know, your what you really care about can 
when you find the solution for it, it can bring you the most joy. And I, I want to thank you both for having me today and interviewing me. So grateful for your time. It's been super fun. Thank you, Eva. And for all of our listeners, you can purchase a copy of The Good Your Money Can Do on Amazon or Barnes & Noble. It will also be available on independent booksellers. <laughs> Go out and get your copy today. Thank you. Congratulations, Eva, on writing such a great book. It's a huge accomplishment. All the things that you've done. It's really fun to feature you on this episode today. And thank you, Mathilde. You are the best at preparing questions and getting us ready. And everything that you do is so appreciated as well. Thanks for having me. It's been really fun to guest host. Bye-bye, everyone. Bye. Once again, it's clear that a business leader with good intentions can create an impressive social, environmental, and ethical impact. There is always a way to put meaning behind the mission of a company, and we can all make a difference. You've taken the first step by listening to the Beyond Capital podcast. Thanks for joining us. Don't forget to rate, review, and if you haven't yet, subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. For more information, go to beyondcapitalpodcast.com. You can follow me on Twitter at EA Stevens. And follow me on Instagram at Conscious Investor. Until next time. Bye, everyone.